This podcast is proudly produced by NZ Audio Editors. For all your editing services, you can find us on the World Wide Web. Greg Moyle and Ryan Melton from One Plan for Retirement would like to welcome you to the NZ Guide to Financial Freedom. This is not to be seen as personal advice as it is a podcast, but will give you the tools you need to live the life you want to ensure you don't run out of money before you run out of life. So welcome back to this week's installment, everybody. We're gathered here with Greg and I. Sorry we couldn't uh, be someone else. It's the same people once again. So uh, yeah, how's life? I've talked to you five minutes ago, but anything good going on? Nothing changed since uh, we spoke five minutes ago. No, it's good. We're uh, heading into uh, 2020 with the perfect uh, vision, isn't it? 2020 vision. Yeah, you got 2020 vision. Uh Here we are for years predicting and trying to predict the various outcomes for people if they do the right things, give them the opportunity to live the dream and enjoy the lifestyle of their choice if they follow our advice. And it's quite comforting after almost 30 years in the business that uh, I've got clients that I spoke to way back then who are reaping the benefits of the retirement package, if you like, if you like, the financial plan that we put together that gave them the confidence that they were able to uh, do all the things they wanted to from a financial perspective and not worry about running out of money before they ran out of life. And they're still continuing to do that. Uh, 2019, as it turned out, was a, a great year for people who were prepared to invest outside uh, the traditional term deposits that the banks offer. Mm, They've had uh, uh, great returns. It's nothing to do with me or nothing to do with Ryan. It's all to do with the markets. But as they say with Lotto, you're not going to win unless you've bought a ticket. Mm. Um, We don't believe in Lotto as a way of uh, becoming financially independent. But if you invest sensibly and wisely and you use a diversified, balanced approach, that when the markets perform, you get the benefit of that. So people are getting double-digit returns from balanced portfolios. Now, will that continue? No, it won't continue. Um, But you'd expect they will continue to outperform um, the traditional term deposit, which is a little or no risk. Mm. But there is a risk because the risk is that over time, inflation will erode the capital. And of course, when you see a drop in interest rates, as people have seen, suddenly they're no longer able to fund the lifestyle they want. And they will run out of money. Yeah, no, it's it's something people don't think about. They don't realize that the money in the bank could actually be losing the money because the purchasing power is going down. But it's quite interesting um, having someone that's done it three decades when you, you still got every thing in paper form from back then and you see blow the dust off this white the plan that was decades old and it worked you know it, it, you executed and they they lived the life and then very much meeting the people that embody that plan and seeing one now how happy they seem and what they're able to do and it's well, quite interesting one plan well the plan of course gets updated quite frequently you can't just sort of put it in the fridge and think that's the end <laughs> no, of it. No, no, not at all. Or the freezer, perhaps. Uh, you, you need to sit down every year and just revisit the goals and objectives, look at the resources, 
And of course, you know, 30 years ago, you might have said, oh, I could fund a really good lifestyle on $30,000 a year, mm. $2,500 a month. You need to double that now. Yeah. And that's kind of in line with inflation too, because if you say inflation's 2%, uh, effectively that means every 36 years the cost of living doubles. If it's 3%, uh, it, it's really every 24 years. So it's sort of somewhere between 24 and 26 years, 36 years. And so what people now would require is $60,000 a year mm. to fund that lifestyle that 30 years ago would be 30. It's huge. How are you able to do that? You're able to do that if your investment base is sufficiently diversified, that's inflation protected, and you know you when you're spending the money, um, you're spending maybe a little bit of the real capital over time, but you're keeping pace, mm. and you're not going to run out of money before you run out of life. Yeah, a good analogy you used with that was your father, and when he he had a certain level of savings and his advisor or accountant gave him some advice yeah got a great interest rate in the bank but was basically going backwards every year even if he compounded the interest but he didn't compound the interest he had to spend it to fund the lifestyle he wanted so he was going backwards by 12 percent every year mm-hmm. and that was huge because mm-hmm. that means after six years if inflation was that level he basically halved the real purchasing power of his capital. It was it was um, quite traumatic to watch. But that kind of leads us, I think, into the need for people to understand how money works. For sure. And to develop money skills such that they're, if you like, in charge of what's happening as opposed to being a passenger. Mm. You know, do you want to be the driver of your future financial well-being, or you're happy to be a passenger in the back seat or the boot, because problem if you're in the back seat or the boot, um, you may up not end up in the place that you want to end up. You may not have the choices mm. that you wanted to have. And at the end of the day, you know, there's an old saying: if it is to be, it's up to me. You've got to take responsibility for those future outcomes. So to do that, there's a level of education required. And when we meet with people, certainly for the first time, what we're trying to do is to help them understand how money works, mm. to understand that the return that you get is linked to the level of investment volatility that you're prepared to subject yourself to. So you make money by not losing it. So you're not speculating. You are investing but it comes with a level of investment volatility because markets don't always go up. They might take two steps forward and half a step back. So you've got to understand that that process, so when it takes the half step back, you don't panic. Mm. You don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. So where do you learn that information? It's a bit like you know we say that why are New Zealanders terrible drivers? I think we're getting better, certainly in Auckland, because the volume of traffic means you have to get better, otherwise you go nowhere. Um, But why New Zealand is traditionally poor drivers, it's because they're taught by people who were never taught to drive either. Mm. Most New Zealanders were taught to drive by their parents. The question to be asked is, who taught them to drive? That's when it gets really frightening. 
you know, defensive driving is not something that we teach at schools, but maybe we should, as they do overseas in America, that they do driver ed, driver education. Uh, It's not common here. Uh, I think it should be, because you look at the road toll and you think if we could all drive better and more defensively, uh, that might save lives, a bit like swimming. Mm. Every New Zealander should know how to swim. Every kid at school should not leave school until they're sort of good enough to be able to save themselves and maybe save someone else. For sure. Driver education is the same. Um, The other one, in my view, the third pillar is financial literacy, financial education. Because who teaches kids uh, savings and spending? It might be their parents. But if their parents aren't particularly good at it, and who taught them? Um, it's a cycle. It's a cycle that is very difficult to break. For sure. One of the options of doing that is financial literacy taught at schools. There's a recent article that came out in, in one of the, the papers I, I saw it talked about 10 ways to uh, improve financial literacy in schools. Yeah, 10 ways to improve money education. education yeah, written by, it's, a, it's from Cameron, Cameron Bagri and John O'Connor. Cameron, of course, is a well-known economist. And they're saying too many young people leaving school without even a basic understanding of money, and that needs to change. That's true. And, and I couldn't agree more. Uh, some years ago... I set up a program called Money Skills, and I've been trialling it at a school that I have a connection with, Mount Albert Grammar School in, in Mount Albert in Auckland, a school of in excess of 3,000 students. I think this year it's 3,150 students, uh, 50% boys, 50% girls. And some years ago, I convinced the, the school that we should try and do uh, a series of I don't know what you call them, not really seminars because they need to be a bit more interactive. Um, with Yeah, workshops are a better way of putting it. And the only time that we could find that we could allocate to this was in the last term, term four, mm. uh, and to the year 10 students. So the year 10 is the second year in secondary education. Uh, so these students don't have to worry about NCA, uh, year 11, 12 and 13, that time of year that all they're worried about is their exams. Yeah. So there's a bit of a window for the year 10 and, and possibly year 9. So I convinced the the headmaster and uh, the senior management at Mount Albert Grammar. Um, it was probably helpful that I was the chairman of the board, so I probably had a little bit of influence <laughs> to do that. And... <laughs> What we've been doing for a number of years is making sure that all the year 10 boys and girls at the school have really about 35 to 40 minutes of listening to me, poor poor devils, talk about uh, money skills. And what I've noticed is that the level of knowledge is actually very poor. Mm. I mean, you were talking about 14-year-olds, so... Here they are, 14, um, sort of a good way past their, through their education at secondary school, and they have a very poor understanding of how money works. And what I try and do is talk to them about goal setting linked into money management. So it's about talking to them about short-term goals, 
medium-term goals and very hard for 14-year-olds to have a long-term goal. Yeah. Uh, that's KiwiSaver is a way of dealing with long-term goals, but in the short-term and medium-term, it's talking about their spending habits and what they want to spend money on and they're talking about the concept of money management is about uh, spending and saving. Uh, where does the money come from for many of these people? Well, young people, uh, they bank at the bank of mum and dad, mm-hmm. uh, which Good is bank. fine. But, you know, we, we say that in our society, there's a lot of people living um, without many financial resources. So that would be kind of difficult for mum and dad to, to pick up that burden. And what I'm throwing back and challenging these young people, if they set the goals and focus on those goals and put in place the processes to achieve those goals, there is actually nothing that they can't achieve. A good example would be, you know, I say to them, what would you like to be able to buy in the next 12 months? And the one that comes up more frequently is a device like a telephone, you know, an iPhone, which, say, it might cost, um, you know, what's a good number, $700, $800, you, you, how much would an iPhone cost, do you think? Yeah, I mean, that's in the range. It's definitely it's, it's a huge, huge purchase. So I would say, yeah, 600 700 You can go lower, you can go higher, but we'll go in that middle number. Okay, so so let's let's say it's a nice round figure like um, $720. Nice and round. <laughs> Where'd that come why, from? Why is it nice and round? It's divisible by 12. <laughs> so I say to these people, okay... You want to buy a telephone, and it's going to cost you $725 or whatever you want to buy. Yeah. All right? So divide it by 12. Mm, six. It, it's, it's effectively $60 a month, mm. isn't it? Yep. And if you divide it by weeks, it's effectively $15 a week. So you, your goal then to achieve the purchase of a phone in 12 months' time is to save $15 a week. Now, does that sound prohibitive? You know, most of them say no. And I say, well, right, how much money do you need to earn to save $15 a week? And where will the money come from? Mm. Now, of course, most of them are thinking the bank of mum and dad. And actually, why bother with the 15 a week? Just, just get mum and dad to buy the phone. But that's not Good really deal. clever for mum and dad or for them because you don't learn to appreciate things that you haven't actually grafted or worked to achieve. So if it's $15 a week, I say to them, well, if you want to save $15 a week, how much do you need to earn? And some will say 15 I'll say, no, it's not 15 It's twice that. It's probably $30 a week you need to earn so that you spend 15 and you save 15 That's learning to spend and enjoy today as well as save to enjoy tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And then I would say to them, well, where's the $30 going to come from? And, you know, they scratch their heads and look around and say, well, you know, think about it. You're now 14. What can you do at 14 that you couldn't do at 13 or 12? Babysit. It is. The girls get it right away, but why can't the boys do the same thing? Mm. You know, I said, how lucky can you be to get a job that actually pays you to sit in front of TV and eat and drink the food provided by your employer. I think I'm going to resign. Sounds yeah, like a exactly, good job. Exactly, yeah. 
And now, <laughs> my daughter actually uh, did some of this the other day. She's 14, and she tells me she got paid $15 um, for just an hour for three and a bit hours, so she got $50. I'm thinking maybe I should resign. Sure. If the IRD's listening, it was tax-deductible income. Well, yeah, no, I don't think she'll probably declare it, but (laughs) I might have to go and uh, talk to her employer and say they're overpaying it. But $10 to $15 is certainly the going rate. So if it is $15, um, that's two hours. Mm. If it's $10, it's three so you'd only have to devote one babysitting session a week to give you the $30 to spend 15 to save 15 towards this goal, which at the end of the year allows you to buy a device. Mm. Right? What about the boys? If they don't want to babysit, I can understand that. You know, it might not be too fashionable. It seems a good job to me sitting in the watching someone's TV and eating their food and drinking their drink. But <laughs> there are other jobs you can do. You can, you know, wash windows. You can wash cars. Yeah. You can do gardening. You do uh, lawn mowing. I guarantee if I'm a young 14-year-old and I went and talked to the neighbours and said, look, I'm you know, looking to save some money towards a particular goal, um, is there some work that you'd like me to do? I'm sure they'd find work, mm-hmm. you know, to do the washing of the car, to wash windows to do some gardening, whatever. And then, of course, you always get in a group, uh, because there's normally about 50 young people in these sessions. Some of them have already got jobs at 14. They'll yeah, be working stacking shelves. They'll be you know, helping out at a, at a, at a local retailer. Um, those are the kids who are onto it right away. You can see at that age the ones who will be drivers and the ones who will be passengers in life yeah. financially. But there's no need for anyone to be a complete passenger. You know, all they have to do is set a goal and realise that, like these goals, that need to be smart, specific, manageable, um, achievable, realistic, time-focused, that saving $720 over a 12-month period is actually not that big a challenge. It's Mm. it's really, really doable. Mm. And you, you can see with some of the kids, the... Suddenly the the light comes on. It's a light bulb moment. They go, hang on, I can actually do this. But to do it, I have to have a plan. And where would that money be accumulated? It'd just be in the bank because it's a 12-month focus. Yeah. So you're not worrying about how much interest you're going to you know, earn. You're not going to use a term deposit. It'll just be on some form of call account for 12 months. And then in the 12 months, you buy your device. So that's the short-term plan. And then you're talking about a medium-term plan, a plan for three years. Now, these kids are in year 10. So I asked them, what year, what would you like to do or be able to do at year 13? And I've got some bad news for the cycling fraternity. (laughs) What do you think these 14-year-olds want to achieve over a three-year period by the time they're in year 13? Have a car. Have a car. Have a car. <laughs> I guess the last one wrong. How do we fun. how do we break this to Phil Goff that actually, you know, these are the kids don't want to go out on dates and go out and do things on a bus. They want their own vehicle to get around. So maybe we should be building bigger roads and mm. more connected roads and get rid of the cones and bits and pieces that infect the cities, particularly Auckland. But 
These kids want to be able to have a car, to have the freedom to do the things they want to do when they want to do it. And it's not just the boys, it's the girls more than the boys. Because again, in my day, you know, most of the girls didn't have a car, they found a boy with a car and, and off they went. These days, the girls are just as independent as the boys and they want to have that freedom. Yeah. The interesting thing also for cyclists is that when I ask these, five, there are about 500 young people in year 10 at Mount Albert Grammar and asked them how many of them go to school by cycling. You know, basically it wouldn't be much more than, you know, 15 out of 500. Yeah, well. Frightening, eh? 3%. Yeah, But they all want to have their own mode of transport. And when you do that sum, you say to them, well, how much are you going to spend on this car? And probably it can be anywhere between two to 3,000 to buy their first car. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be the flashiest thing, but it'll you know be hopefully reliable and, and go. So you then say to them over a three-year period, if you've got to save two and a half thousand or three thousand for a car, how do you break that down? Mm. And remember, it's the old story about how do you eat an elephant? Not that you're allowed to these days, <laughs> but how do you eat an elephant? <laughs> these You'd days, what are we doing Fridays? Peace, wouldn't you? <laughs> So you're not going to come up with $3,000 to buy the vehicle. But if you say, I'm trying to save $1,000 a year, every year for three years, and you break that down, Mm. you're talking probably less than $20 a week to save that amount of money. To earn 40. Save 20, you've got to earn 40. Mm. To earn $40 a week, what does that mean? Four hours of babysitting, three hours of babysitting, uh, three to four hours of helping neighbours and bits and pieces, doing things. Um, it's not that big a ask to do that. And, of course, you need to keep that process going because when you eventually buy the car, you're going to continue to need that $40 a week to be able to insure it, maintain it, and run it. So it then becomes kind of a lifelong journey that you... Um, you're, you're working to fund your lifestyle. Um, yeah, there's an answer, do you work to live or do you live to work? Mm. Um, I'd like to think that I'm one of the people I live to work because I love what I'm doing. But I appreciate not everyone does. Yeah, a lot of people. And you know, I don't think any of us want to make a career of doing odd jobs or, um, or babysitting. It's just a, a, a stepping stone as you continue your education and that's another part that comes out of the financial literacy to get young people to understand that the biggest financial resource that they will ever come across is themselves. Yeah. You know, they have the ability over a lifetime to earn a significant amount of money doing the things hopefully they enjoy doing, and that gives them the choices to have the lifestyle that they desire. So it's that understanding that... Um, your education, the skills that you acquire will help you increase the income that you can earn. The income that you earn gives you choices to both spend and save. You've got to live for today, but you need to think about tomorrow, which is exactly what we say to people about retirement, mm-hmm. and which is why KiwiSaver is a very easy way for people, even if they don't get it, 
to be sort of in the frame to mm. be able to have a decent standard of living when their income stopped. Yeah, conscriptive saving. There was um, a book, uh, Gains Primates Play in Economics and Relationships, and it talked about that one of the biggest characteristics on whether a primate will survive after being in captivity is whether they've developed the habit of learned helplessness. So they rely on the food to come at a certain time, they have the expectation that things work a certain way, and then they lose the responsibility of their life. And that, that's a big advocate. Like um, a lot of children today or um, young people, if they're developing a habit of relying on someone else, uh, it's going to it's going to lead them down a road of feeling as though they're a victim, feel like the the world is against them, and it's just going to be a downward spiral of reinforcement. So, I think that's a really important thing you're doing with the money skills is teaching those behavioural things, because outside of the education, there there are a lot of kids that come out of that not feeling as though they're intelligent or not feeling as though they can contribute. So if you if you develop a skill set outside of the education. You also develop self-worth in the child. And that, that's a serious thing, an important thing, because there's a good analogy. Let's say the education system is a tree. You've got a dolphin, you've got a, a monkey, you've got a lion, and you've got a bear and a fish. Sure, some of them can climb it, but a lot of them, whether it's not a reflective of them not being intelligent, it's just the fact that it's a tree, the fact that they don't have the skill set that's tailored to the way that the education is structured. Like a person could learn very hands-on and still be a very valued contributor to the world. Um, so I think that's an important dialogue to not only teach knowledge and skills at school, but also develop self-worth, confidence, understanding of money, and seeing that if you do set down a goal and break it down, you can achieve it. So I think it's essential. I'm still trying to work out how a fish gets up a tree. <laughs> there are some. They store it in their gills. Yeah. Oh, is that right? Yeah. 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 yeah, it had me thinking. Uh, I don't know why I understand that you, either. Yeah, a dolphin probably can't do, but you wouldn't want to climb a tree if you think a bear's going to be after you. No. Because bears can climb trees. This is true. The, Pretty quick. Yeah, th- look, the, these sort of skills that young people <laughs> get exposed to can have a huge effect on, their, on what happens later in life because we know that generally New Zealanders and probably other people in other parts of the world are not really good with money. It's probably anecdotal because I don't have the statistics to support it. But when you find out that when people come up to retirement at age 65, that pretty much 60% plus or minus of people in retirement are totally dependent on New Zealand super to fund their lifestyle. Yeah, You've got to say, what went wrong? I mean, these people would have earned money over the course of their employment lifestyle. What happened? Now, I understand sometimes disasters befall people and yep. there could be business failures and bits yep. and pieces. But I would think the overriding majority would have spent everything they earned. Mm, pagey, they would pagey. have lived to their lifestyle. And I've seen it. It's so easy to do. When I was a student... In my 20s, you didn't earn much money, but you spent what you earned, and then you got a job, and you got a bit more money, and you spent what you earned, and you get a better job, and you spent what you earned. (laughs) You know, you get better clothes, a better car. Um, Maybe you go to a nicer home, you buy a home, then you get a better home. It's just part of the um, DNA that we have in our our minds that we want to um, improve our standard of living, and that's Mm. a good thing to do. 
Um, but if you're not going to be satisfied at some point in time, you're going to be like a dog chasing its tail, and you're never going to be happy mm. because you always want a bigger car, a bigger house, um, more spending money, this, that, and the other thing. And I think one of the other skills, if you can learn it, is to know, you know, to be happy and to be satisfied and say, yeah, I'm happy with my environment. I'd like to maintain it. It's always nice to improve it, but it's not a must to improve it. What I don't want to see myself is go backwards. Mm. And that's an interesting thing I see when people are looking to come to retirement and we're looking at the resources they have and the value they have in their biggest lifestyle asset, their home. And for many people, when they come up to retirement, there's a nice home, they've had a good income, you've got the cars and the chattels and the, they might have a boat, but you then look at the investment box, mm. yeah, it's empty, you know, it's all gone. <laughs> so you say, well, how then are you going to maintain this lifestyle now that your income stopped? And, you know, the easy one is we'll downsell the house and you go, oh, yeah, that's pretty good. But if you've got a um, you know, a million-dollar home, which is just an average home in Auckland these yeah. days, frightening, mm. um, and you down sell it to a half-a-million-dollar home, where's that going to be? Mm. It's not going to be in the suburb where your friends and family are living, where you live for many, many years. You're going to have to move to a less affluent suburb, uh, or you're going to have to move out of town as an Aucklander, um, move north, move south, and that may or may not suit you mm. uh, because it takes you outside um, the environment that your friends and family are living in. So that's not a great recipe for success. Whereas if you were able to uh, you know, balance the book, so to speak, so that instead of having a million dollars in a home, you had half a million dollars in a home and half a million dollars uh, in your investment bucket, that would give you the ability to fund a lifestyle of about $60,000 a year in retirement. Mm, that's including that, That's the challenge that there is for people. It's about managing your expectations and being happy about the choices that you've made. With the younger people going through... Um, the concept of savings becomes even more important because the banks, when you're lending to to young people buying their first home, are looking for you to have a reasonably sizable deposit. Mm. Um, my generation were able to get away with a much lower deposit, but then the values were much lower. But the cost of funding was much higher, and it was really, really hard to get... Um, your, your, your foot on the on, on the step because banks and institutions wouldn't lend you money. Now the institutions want to lend everyone money, so it's easy enough to get the money if you meet their requirements. And lots of young people meet the young, those requirements, but of course the cost of housing is, is sort of way up there. Yeah. And the other problem is the behavioural sort of thing, and I've seen it in my own children, that you know, they want to kind of live in a home that's not dissimilar to the home they've left, mm. which is a real challenge. Because I can tell you, when I bought my home, first home, um, in a suburb called Beach Haven in Auckland, uh, not an affluent suburb in those days, probably still isn't, um, but 
it was a big step down from the home that I was living in with my parents, which again wasn't an affluent home, but it was better than mm. what I went to. But I was very, very proud of my first home. Yeah, imagine. Yeah, uh, but it wasn't my last home. And that's another challenge for young people. The home that they buy is not necessarily their last home. You buy what you can afford, you look at what you can improve on, and as your income goes up and you have a greater level of disposable income, you can make the next step up if you choose to do so. But again, it all needs to be done in some form of balance. For sure. And that's the the challenge as well with them because these days is they're getting instant gratification. So anytime they, they want something, they can deliver it. Anytime they want to look at something, it's immediately there. So it's, it's building this dependency. And, and I guess you, you don't have the same emotional fortitude as that maybe your grandparents had that had to forego pleasure or had certain, I guess, impairments to be able to get do the things they want. So it's, it's interesting as well. And then there's also associations with dopamine dependency. Dopamine's the, the pleasure hormone in the body. So when you look at your phone, you're actually you're getting a dopamine hit, and that's why it's quite addictive. But that same dopamine is what ties in with alcoholics as well. So they get dependent on the high. So you think these young kids are using these phones, are getting dependent on the dopamine fix, which leads them to potentially substance abuse as well. So there's, there's a lot of flow-on effect. And so, yeah, I definitely agree that the way, like my nana would cut a, white piece of bread in half you know just to make the most of it and spread it around for example um my grandfather he had a serious car accident he was tetraplegic and uh, there was no sickness benefit back then so she had to work and raise six kids and look after him he slowly learned how to walk and still that sort of thing but it's that's not something we deal with it's uh, this age there's a lot of handouts there's a lot of support we don't develop the, that character to deal with those ups and downs so it's going to be very interesting what that rolls into. Well, I suppose that leads on to what's the you know, thing you really want young people to come out of an education system with, and the probably word I'd use would be resilience. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. the world will continue to change, For sure. and it is managing those uh, items that you brought up, expectations of instant gratification. Um I want it, therefore I need it. Mm. And, uh, oh, gosh, I can go on my phone and order it. And yeah. I, you know, lots of credit available. You know, buy now, pay later. Sure. I mean, look at the proliferation of these payday loan firms oh. where people can sort of borrow money this month and have to pay it back next month. Yeah, you know, at an extraordinary interest rate. Yeah. And, and I, I look at them, we, we've got one right next door to us <laughs> yeah. now where we're located in Auckland. And, you know, it, 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 it's clearly if, if, you know, E and F are a fail, it'd have to be a G or an H, mm. wouldn't it? That you go from Suspended. pay packet to pay packet, but can't even manage that. You need to get a loan to bridge that gap. And that's a real fail. So if we can help young people through a money skills program or other schools get linked into the financial literacy to give younger people the information and the skills that will assist them to be able to have a much more enjoyable, meaningful, satisfying life where they're not beating themselves up by not being able to do the things they want to do when they want to do them, but having a level of... uh, 
you talked about your grandmother's sacrifice. Mm. So it's it's not immediate gratification. If I want to buy a phone, if I want to buy a car, if I want to buy a house, that I have a plan in place uh, where I'm able to save and accumulate money to allow me to do these things, uh, that is something that is a skill that will hold you for life. For sure. And when you do come up towards retirement, you're going to be well prepared. You're going to understand what the cost of your lifestyle is, and you're going to have a, a plan and a methodology to ensure that you're able to meet those expenditure requirements because your money will be working for you at that stage as opposed to you continuing to work. For sure. And it's, it's quite a liberating experience instead of feeling like a, a ship in the ocean with no rudder, no control over where you're going. It's quite a, a liberating experience to, to see the transition to being in control and, and, and obviously good and bad things are going to happen, but if you have the plan and preparation to protect you from that, you're going to be okay. And the, just to, to wrap it up on the final point, there was, yeah, I wrote it in the book, I just finished over the holidays, where it talked about this experiment with marshmallows. And it was a long-term experiment and it was done with young kids and they told them, all right, this marshmallow here, you can eat it now, but if you don't eat it now, you can get two marshmallows later. So the kids that ate it straight away, they, they had a bit of fulfillment in that moment, but they missed out on that, that benefit. And they actually followed up on these kids to see how they... Um, how their life resulted and the ones that held back and waited for the two marshmallows actually were more successful in life because they learned the art of foregoing pleasure for long-term fulfillment Mm. so on that note i mean i think i think we should reflect on schooling and how we can help these kids because it could be a, a huge problem and if it's not addressed i think even in that article you referenced it said new zealand's debt's 150 percent um, relative to GDP. So our debt is greater than the GDP, which is quite concerning. Uh, so th- th- I hope people get value about that and when they're talking with their kids that they start instilling the sort of values and teachings that we talk about in this podcast. And if you have any questions, by all means, get in contact. And once again, any business is looking for an exceptional audio engineer, we've got NZ Audio Editors here and it yeah, will be back again next week.